0: I welcome you to episode 32 of Moving Matters. I am your host Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as they delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career in the industry some 29 years ago, for Pickfords, thinking at the time that he was joining a travel company. We discuss his new role having just become a part owner in a company, why he believes in standards, his challenges, what he would change from his past, his high points, what he would change within the industry, what advice he would give himself just starting out again, where he sees himself in the industry in the next five years, and what he does outside of the industry. And as always, we end with not one, but two funny moving stories. My guest this episode is Paul Tracy, Managing Director of Squab Removals and Storage. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you today?
1: I'm fine, thank you, Colin, and yourself?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to Moving Matters. Thank you. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry?
1: Hi, my name is Paul Tracy. I've uh, been working in the industry for 29 years now. I joined the industry with no removals experience and no contact to the removals industry at all.
0: So how did you get involved with removals?
1: Like most people, I joined the removal industry by chance. I was looking for a role and I saw a job advertised for Pickford's as a trainee manager. And I applied to join Pickford's, thinking I was joining a travel company, not a removal company. <laughs> well,
0: there is traveling involved.
1: but.
0: <laughs> So, you went straight into Pickford's then and straight onto a management trainee course.
1: So, Pickford's um, back then, many years ago, had a management training scheme that they took on a number of candidates each year. And it was a three year program, and you learned everything to do with removals. So, you learned from sweeping the yard to making the tea to answering the telephone. You spent a period of time doing removals with it locally, nationally, got sent out to Europe for a period of time doing uh, European removals. And as part of that process, you had to write reports and make suggestions on how you felt that different elements of the business could improve by your experience. And you worked through from, as I said, working on the vans to working in the office, doing admin, doing accounts, doing operations and sales. You then went on to do sort of relief management. And we got sent from pillar to post, basically. Uh, You had regular reviews and then they decided where they were gonna send you next. And as long as you were flexible, you had the opportunities to continue to progress. And then as vacancies came available, you had an opportunity then to apply for a vacancy to become a manager.
0: So, when you started off on the trainee course, was it literally you start off on the truck, so you're loading the trucks, et etc., et And then after a while, you're then brought into the office, or is it a case of if you do all of these any day of the week? You could be on the truck on Monday and the office on Tuesday.
1: No, the structure was very, uh, was set that you started. On the trucks. So you were given a uniform, you were sent away on a training course to learn basic packing and loading and manual handling skills. And then you worked as a member of the team. You were a removal person. You went out and you did everything that the removal crews were asked to do. You loaded, you unloaded, you packed, you learned it all for that period of time. You spent three months. Solid, just doing removals and learning the removal part of the business before you then moved on to the next stage. And to move on to the next stage, you had to pass a written exam to prove that you'd learned what you needed to learn in that section before you were allowed to move on to the next section. I don't think we ever got a way of not working on the vans when uh, things were busy, and uh, it was uh, you're an extra <laughs> yeah. pair of hands. So uh, actually, tomorrow, bringing your uniform and uh, off you go, and you're going to be uh, doing that eighteen hundred load and deliver tomorrow.
0: Well, all hands on deck when needs be.
1: And that career started in Bath, so uh, those uh, those moves were you know townhouses, lots and right. lots of stairs. There was uh, it was the big Georgian houses, a lot of them. So. Got to move a lot of uh, antiques and artwork. So learned the trade under some very experienced guys. And that certainly helped me have a true understanding of, uh, of what they do and what's involved in a move. Do
0: you think that side of the industry is lacking today?
1: I think that the industry misses that level of training. Yeah. Obviously, there are companies that are trying to provide that training. And I think that some of those companies do it better than others. There is obviously now through young movers, there are training and development programs that youngsters can uh, attend and learn skills. And there's a couple of residential courses as well that they can go on, which certainly I think helps, but I don't think it gives, they haven't got the scale that Pickford's had. And the infrastructure with their own HR departments and their own health and safety departments that I think gave you a a good rounded knowledge. And if you look at a lot of people in this industry, so many of them, when you look at their CVs, cross the Pickford's threshold at some point in time. Or their fathers started with Pickford's and then branched out and the way that they're trained is very much similar to the Pickford's way. And I've come across people that run their own businesses and say, well, why'd you do it like that? Because I can see that the way that they check information is the way that we were taught. It was very structured. And then when you get, oh, that's the way my dad always did it. Oh, right. Well where where did your dad work? And then you find out that they actually, their dad or their granddad had worked for Pickford's and that's how they'd learned the way that they'd done things.
0: It's such a shame that that's not available as such today, because as we say, I've said it several times on the podcast as well, you always find people in this industry that are connected to Pickford's in one form or another, and training is often the way.
1: Yeah, you know, they used to take on, I think it was uh, somewhere in the region of 10 trainee managers a year. So, you know, some of those fell by the wayside but uh, a lot of them are still in the industry today. People that I trained with are in the industry today or connected to the industry today. They work for organisations that are connected back to the moving industry.
0: So can you tell everyone about your company and the services it offers?
1: Yeah, certainly. I am a shareholder and a part owner of uh, Squab Removals. We're based in Lemington Spa in Warwickshire. The business is based on a, a farm, funny enough, and that's where the name Squab comes from. Squab is a baby pigeon, and uh, the business is based on Squab Hall Farm. Uh, we are a single operation business currently, although uh, it's something that we are looking to, to expand on. We are members of the BAR. We hold two quality standards. We hold the the quality standard for domestic moving. We also hold the quality standard for storage as well. We operate nine vehicles. We have a 900 container warehouse, which is a modern warehouse, fully alarmed and CCTV and everything you would expect from a professional removal company. We tend to carry out the, the larger moves. A lot of our customers expect us to do all their packing for them. We don't tend to get many of the smaller moves. We are seen as sort of the professional choice in the area that we work in. And a lot of our work comes through recommendation and uh, previous customers.
0: So do you do European, international, commercial, or are you doing purely domestic?
1: So we don't do as much uh, international uh, and European as uh, most. We do get occasional inquiries for international, but we don't really market ourselves as an international mover. It's quite a busy marketplace. European, again, it tends to be our customers that uh, will come to us and ask us to do European. Um, we tend to partner up with uh, some of our BAR colleagues for European traffic. Commercially, yes, we do do a little bit of commercial. Again, it tends to be smaller projects. We don't tend to chase the big tenders or the the bigger projects. We're not currently structured for that, but for the smaller moves, then uh, we certainly can undertake those schools and you know, small solicitors' offices, etc. But we don't tend to chase the the big contracts as I have done in the in my past career in some of the roles that I've done previously. Certainly, when I Worked in in Pickford, so I was the commercial director. So my whole life was doing commercial projects and commercial moves.
0: Do you not miss that side of it at all?
1: I think there's certainly a difference working with businesses and dealing with business people rather than private individuals moving their personal items. I think that there's, uh, yes, in some ways, uh, you you miss that business, I suppose, connection. And I think you can learn a lot by working with businesses about your own business and how you operate your own business. But I think currently where we are and uh, the area that we operate in, we concentrate more on the domestic market because that's where our current strength is.
0: Now, you mentioned two standards. How do you get on with standards and what are your thoughts on standards? Do we all need standards?
1: I'm a strong believer in standards. We hold two standards, as I said. We've got uh, 12522, which is the domestic standard. We've also got 14873, which is the standard for the storage of personal belongings. I've been quite involved in QSS over the last six years. So I have a a very strong belief that there is a link between standards, quality, and profitability. So I see that by doing things properly, it helps the profitability of a business. We work in an industry that works on very low margins. You don't need to make too many mistakes before a profitable business becomes an unprofitable business. If you end up operating an unprofitable business, then you can't invest in your staff, you can't invest in your equipment, uh, and your business won't move forward. I think standards is a health check to a business.
0: No, definitely.
1: Whether we like it or don't like doing paperwork, having a review of how we go through and having a written process to say, this is how I want to run my business. And I'm going to health check my business on a regular basis to make sure that my business is doing what it needs to do. And I think a standard gives you that. It gives you the roadmap of what do you need to check to make sure your business is operating as you believe it should be operating. And it gives you an opportunity to review your business to say, okay, what needs to change? And having a standard and having that written standard, everyone's is slightly different because everyone's business model is slightly different. But it gives you an opportunity to to take a step back, look at your business and say, what do I need to do to make my business better? At the end of it, you come out with a standard. And by having somebody independently come and looking at your business and saying, okay, this is what you think your business is doing. Is your business doing that? I think is also just another health check to say, That's great. I can look at my car each year and say, yeah, I think my car's healthy. But when you take it into the garage and uh, you have your MOT done on your car, if they find something wrong, clearly you don't want to be driving your car with something wrong with it. So I think by, you know, having a standard is exactly the same. It's an MOT for your business on an annual basis.
0: Good way of looking at it. Very good way of looking at it. But a question on standards. Do the standards need updating at all? Because they've been around now for several years and it's the same standard. Do the standards themselves need looking at again?
1: I I think that the world has certainly changed and you should always look at standards to whether they are still relevant for businesses. You know, certainly now a lot more is done remotely than necessarily face-to-face. So I, I think that like any standard, whether you're, you're, you've are you got it in your own business or the standard that is written, I think there should always be a review. But we're quite a simple trade, a yeah. simple industry. On the whole, we pack people's effects, we load people's effects, we transport people's effects, whether that's within the UK or across the world, and we deliver people's effects. Now, yeah, there's lots of elements that fit into that. And there's lots of things that can change that. But ultimately, the process of moving hasn't changed for hundreds of years.
0: And isn't likely to.
1: And it's unlikely to. Technology obviously, you know, helps us or we think so until computers go down. I still like a pen and paper personally. But I think that you, you should always keep your eyes open. And I, I know that obviously reviews take place with regards to the standards, but it is a BSEN standard, so it's still a British and European standard. And to get a standard changed, there's a lot of red tape getting the standard yeah, in place, and there's a lot of red tape getting the standard changed because all parties need to agree that that standard needs to change. I think, from a business owner's point of view, the standard is there and it gives you the, the foundation. You can then add to that standard to improve your own business. And I think you as an owner should always be looking at your own business and not purely relying on the standard to do it. That's just a a health check, MOT, as I said. Still need to dip your oil each week.
0: It's not a complicated standard either at the end of the day. It's quite a simple standard.
1: I believe so. And if you look at members of the BAR and the standard you need to achieve to be a member, it's not a big jump to go from a basic BAR audit to achieving a standard for BS 12522. Yeah, But I think that a lot of people are scared by the work that's involved. And some people just don't see that there's the benefit in having, having that health check, or maybe they don't want to know what comes up. So
0: going back a little bit, you mentioned training opposite Pickford's. You have your own in-house training centre, I believe.
1: We do. Our training centre is actually based in one of our warehouses. It's a multi-level house. So it is a stand, it's a three-bedroom house. So we have a lounge, we have the kitchen, we have the dogleg staircase, we have a bathroom, we have study, we have bedrooms. And all the things that would be associated with a house, there's a utility area. So obviously lifting white goods in and out, we've got an American fridge freezer. The front door has a porch area, so you have to come into a hall and it's a dogleg to get out of the hallway. All of the things that um, you know removal crews potentially could face in somebody's house gives them a, a safe area that they can actually train. We have a sort of a shed garage area with a loft so they can practice passing things down a loft ladder to the people below. We have a mock up at the back of a vehicle with all the raves so they can practice loading the vehicle and tying the vehicle off. Um, We have some uh, storage containers there as well so they can practice loading the wooden storage containers and then obviously unloading them all and putting it all back in and unpacking it all again. It's a great facility that uh, we have there and that we can uh, utilise with our staff and also trainings carried out there with uh, staff from uh, other locations.
0: Sounds awesome. Sounds absolutely awesome. Really does.
1: It's a a great facility. When I started in the industry, we used to do a lot of our training at a place called MoTech, which is up near Telford. uh, And they used to have a house in a hangar there. And we used to do our estimating training and removal training used to be done at Motec, and I suppose this is just like the modern version of Motec. It's in you know in Warwickshire and it's uh, at our facility. So uh, no, it's a, it's a great facility.
0: Great, 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 great. So what challenges have you had to overcome then, Paul?
1: I think there's been lots of challenges over the years. I think challenges being your own boss and having your own business is, is certainly different to the challenges of working for somebody else. Where you had challenges to meet the requirements of an organization, you now have the challenges that it's your business and it's your you know your final responsibility. I suppose being involved in setting up the business as we have done, we've had to go through all the processes of a new business, you know, registering for VAT, setting up bank accounts, reapplying for our BAR membership, getting you know our operations license, and having to to get that changed. And although there was a, a minor change in the sense that uh, the ownership had changed slightly, but the majority ownership had remained the same because we changed the name slightly. And rather than be called Squab Limited, we went to Squab Removals Limited we had to apply for a new operations license and uh, start again. And uh, a lot of people see us as a a new business and as such, you know, want certain guarantees from us uh, to to operate. I think the challenge of educating customers has not changed at all. (laughs) Trying to educate customers to why they should use a professional removal company rather than web comparison sites that they get three quotes that somebody's never, ever spoken to them or been to their property or done a video survey or they're uh, obviously are new ones now where the the work is bidded for, trying to educate customers into understanding of what's going to happen. And just the process of moving, it still shocks me even today. And I don't know why, still after all these years, it shocks me. How many customers ring you up And don't understand the basics of what's going to happen about them selling their home. You know, what is exchange of contracts? So many of them don't understand that exchange of contracts and completion are two different things. And they don't understand that they can't just agree with the person whose house they're buying, that they can get in at nine o'clock in the morning because that's what's been agreed. We know it's not going to happen. We know the money's not going to (laughs) be transferred in that time. We know, yes, we can sit outside your house at nine o'clock in the morning, but we're not going to be able to get in there until you've got the keys. Uh, And it's just trying to, you know, that education of people where really that should be discussed by people earlier in the chain, our friends, the estate agents, the solicitors. But just so many people just don't understand that moving process and what's involved.
0: I feel the estate agents and the solicitors are not our friends. (laughs) <laughs> but they need to become our friends
1: um i think some are better than others i think the elements there do very well out of the moving process and make uh make a lot more than we do as movers with uh oh absolutely a lot less a uh, lot less work sometimes
0: educating customers is an interesting one because like you say now now we've we've got to the stage where you're bidding for work i and this is just me personally, I couldn't have somebody come to my house and move my worldly possessions that I've never met before. Now, obviously, if you came out and surveyed my house, you're not going to come out and move it necessarily, you're going to send your guys around. But I'm choosing to move with you for a reason, it could be that we got on well, you've sold your services, and I trust you. It's no different, really, to giving my car to a garage, you know, put the mechanic that works on it, I'll never meet him. But... The people that you deal with in the service department, you then create a rapport with and a trust. But I couldn't have anybody just turn up at my house and move my goods that I've never met before. I just don't get it.
1: I don't get it either. You know, I think in in life, whenever you buy anything or make any major purchase for most people, you do some element of research. Whether it's a, a new television or a new car, you do an amount of research into to what you're buying because you want to make sure you're buying a product that's going to meet your, your needs and your requirements. But it shocks me how many people really don't, don't seem to care about who's going to move their stuff as long as somebody moves it when they say and that the price is, is right to what they, they think they want to spend. And these people might not have any standards, they might not be members of a trade association, they might have found them on Facebook or another medium to find it out, or they'll come back to you and say, I've had ABC removals, give us a quote, and you're a hundred pounds more expensive than them. And you just think in the scheme of it, a hundred pounds with what you know, you've paid maybe fifteen thousand pounds in stamp duty, you've paid your solicitor fifteen hundred, two thousand, you've paid your estate agent more most probably four or five thousand and you're quibbling over a hundred pounds to use a company that has a proven track record.
0: And is going to handle your personal effects for goodness sake.
1: Correct. You know, we are in people's homes and we're entrusted to move their worldly possessions, as you said. Mm. But I think different people just view their possessions in a totally different way. And we just know by going around to see people it's about selling to what people want. So, you know, the husband's normally really concerned about his garage and his tools and all the things outside, <laughs> and the wife is normally concerned about all the vases and the the pictures that the children have drawn for them in the past, you know, and they, they, they're all their precious items. So it's trying to find, a, you know, something between the two. But uh, yeah, a lot of people, I just don't think, put value in some of the items they have
0: blows my mind it really does blow my mind so if you could change anything from your past what would it be
1: um i think it's always difficult to to look back i think you can always look at small things and said well if i'd done this differently or i've done that differently i think you you've got to always look forward to uh to the future but i I suppose I've entered into owning my own business quite late in life in comparison to, to a lot of people. I suppose I, I look back now and I had an opportunity uh, a number of years ago to, uh, to invest and uh, enter into owning and running my own business. And I suppose, I suppose the regret is, but should I have done this many years ago? But there are certain things that you've then learned in those years that maybe have helped you now. Mm. Achieve what you you want to achieve. So I think it's always difficult to to go back. I think you can always blame the past. I think you have to learn from the past, but I think you've always got to be now considering the you know the future rather than uh, looking backwards.
0: What is your high point of being in the industry?
1: I, I think it's the people. I, I've met some great people through this industry. I've made some great friends. I've had the opportunity to work overseas. Um, I've had an opportunity to you know, to travel extensively with this, uh, this industry. It's an industry that I really enjoy being part of. I think you either love removals or you don't. I don't think anyone goes to school and sits there and thinks, well, OK, what am I going to be when I grow up? Oh, I want to work in removals. It's not that industry. It's you know, it's not like being an airline pilot or uh, being a doctor or something you may have thought about for the most of your life. Uh, maybe if you've got family that have been in, you know, are in the business, then maybe you've looked at it in a in a totally different way. In the sense of, you know, oh well, that's what my father's done, or and I want to, you know, take over a, a family business, and that, that's your your thought process. I, I think having those friends and those uh, you know that those experiences, I look back in my past and you sort of look at sort of key things that you've done. I had an opportunity to work for the American Secret Service for Bill Clinton's final visit to the UK. You sort of think back and you've done these these wonder you know these wonderful things and been involved in these projects and it's it's just the memories I think you you create. By working in the industry and I think these are the things that you'll sort of take with you as you go forward and as I said you know I've made friends in the industry who are now lifelong friends and you can pick up the phone and you can talk to them and spend time personally with them outside just trying not to talk about removals is normally the the biggest challenge I've got <laughs>
0: <honest>. <laughs> oh dear maybe it's because the, the industry as a whole is made up of family run businesses
1: yeah maybe and you know maybe i'm i sort of break the mold but there are there are you know there are guys and girls out there that um have come along a similar route to myself you know they have come into the industry not being part of a family business they've come in from outside and they've started to put a a mark in the the ground of why it's good to to come from a a different viewpoint and you don't you've maybe had to work slightly differently to to get there than if you joined a family business although I know you know some family businesses work their uh, their relatives and their uh, their children quite hard to uh, to make sure that they're up to the up to the mark
0: so you mentioned that we don't go to school wanting to be a removal man How can we get the youngsters or ladies? Yes, sorry, you are correct. How do we get the youngsters into our industry? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think that people have to see it as a career and as a profession. And I think this comes back to the education of everybody regarding the removal industry. I don't see and you don't get the feeling that people, even people you talk to, they don't see us as a profession and it's about trying to change people's perceptions doing removals isn't easy the guys and girls that are out there physically moving furniture every single day of the week it's not an easy it's not an easy job you know they use a lot of skill they use a lot of knowledge and i don't think that people really see that as a skill differently if you go to somewhere like america removal people, uh, it is seen as a profession more so than it is in the UK. In Europe, many European countries see it as more of a profession than we do in the UK. I think that there's too many people that can call themselves a removal company that actually have no, haven't no, got the, the skills that uh, they should have. And I think it's a bit of an insult to people in the industry that do actually know what they're doing for some of these people to, to take our our industry and, I suppose, downgrade it.
0: Absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. So what one thing would you change within the moving industry?
1: I think it comes back to sort of that, that same point is I think I would like us to be seen as a profession and for customers to pay a proper value for what we do. I always joked, and I've got uh, people that I know in the estate agency industry who look down their noses at us as movers. I say, you know, I'd be quite happy to go and move somebody for one or 2% of their value of their house. We have... Absolutely. We have two, three, maybe four members of staff out in somebody's house for numerous days with a £100,000 plus vehicles outside. With most people today have two to three hundred pounds worth of materials alone on their moves it would be for people to actually recognize us as a, a profession and to pay us what they need to pay us as a, a profession to offer us the uh, the right uh you know the right the right price for doing the right job
0: oh yes <laughs> Don't know how we're going to get it, though. but
1: Same old, same old, Colin. And I think I've been hearing it since the day I started in the industry. But as an industry, we're the only ones that can change it. When we sell ourselves short, the only people we're ever harming is ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be a race to the bottom.
0: No, definitely not. Definitely not. What advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry?
1: Um... I think for me, it's about knowing the business, knowing and understanding that the business as a whole. So I would go back to myself and I would tell myself, understand every element of what goes on in the business and understand your numbers. If you don't understand your numbers, you can't run a profitable business. You have to understand what is your true costs for doing work? I'm quite a number orientated person. I, I like numbers. I enjoy Excel. I know some people aren't uh, as keen, <laughs>
0: but
1: uh, I enjoy Excel. It's about understanding, you know, what is the true cost of doing a move? What is the true cost of a man? What is the true cost of a vehicle? If you understand and your numbers and you can get your, your costs right, then from there, you can run a successful business. So I would just remind myself as a younger me, and I do tell younger people that I meet, is make sure that you understand your numbers. Understand when you've had a good month. How did you do it? Understand when you've had a bad month. Why? And then there may be things that you, you couldn't influence for a bad month. And there may be things that you could have made a good month an exceptional month, but understand your numbers and understand your business so you can, you can make informed decisions.
0: Sound advice there, Paul. Very sound advice. So where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years? Let's start with yourself.
1: I have an ambition to grow the business that I've invested into. Yep. I didn't invest into a business to to stay where it is. I invested into a business because I want to grow and develop that business. So I have an ambition over the next five years to increase the footprint of squab removals, whether that be as squab removals or whether that be squab removals in Leamington Spa, but ABC Limited in uh, in other areas. We do have a an ambition to to grow and develop the business into maybe two or three locations covering you know a wider geographical area so you know we are actively on the acquisition hunt to to either partner with people or to to take over and run additional businesses and increase the services that we offer we're talking about uh, international and european and uh, commercial and maybe that's areas that we can look to expand uh, our our business into. But we want to do it in the right way. I don't want to, to chase to, uh, it's not about an, you know, an ambition to just be big. It's an ambition to be successful. So I'd rather be small and successful than big yeah. and unsuccessful. So uh, it's one step at a time. And our plans are sort of over the next five years to increase the business and uh, let it grow. As an industry, I think we've got a number of challenges. I think every day that we read the press, listen to the the radio or the television and the news articles about the challenges with drivers. As an industry, we are facing those challenges. But it's about how do we bring people through our industry? Most people, I think, would agree To go and get a driver that's never done removals before, it's harder to train a driver to do removals than it is a removal man to to train them to drive. And I think that that will take time. And when you've got experienced older members of staff, it's uh, it's having it's having that vision to think about the future of bringing in youngsters to train them. Porters are potentially our next drivers, our next team leaders. So it's about putting value in those guys. As well as the drivers, because you don't value them, they won't stay, so we try to do things uh, with our staff to value them and do different uh, things, both in work and out of work to, uh, to to motivate them.
0: Do you think we need to make people aware that the removal industry isn't about loading, transporting and unloading furniture? There are lots of other avenues that people can come into, start doing that, and then progress into
1: I think yes. Uh, And I think that, uh, as I said before, I think some companies are quite good at doing that and introducing people. I think as an industry, the problem is that we are made up mainly of lots and lots of small companies. So lots of companies that operate from a single location and are very successful in their, their local marketplaces. So it's about it's maybe this sits with some of the the bigger organisations that uh, how that's portrayed. And I think also from a BAR point of view, they're trying to do more now about apprenticeships and trying to to put out there a little bit more about, you know, opportunities within the the moving industry. I think it's very hard to uh, to make it sound sexy and interesting with people. I think a lot of youngsters see it as a lot of hard work, you know, lifting and carrying furniture all day is is hard work. But there are a lot of jobs out there that are hard work, farming, manufacturing and things. But our guys, you know, work in teams, Um, they meet lots of different people, they go to different, they work in different places virtually every day. And I think that it's trying to sell the positives to people why this is more interesting than working in a factory.
0: Exactly. I mean you're out and about you're you're travelling all over the UK, you could be travelling around Europe, you could see some wonderful places. You're not literally going to a factory or an office 9 to 5 five days a week looking at the same walls every day could be different. Absolutely. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off?
1: I I enjoy the I enjoy the countryside. Either walking, cycling, or I've got a little sports car, so I like to, to drive in the, uh, the countryside. I'm quite a big rugby fan. Some would say the, uh, the egg chasers. So uh, I enjoy, enjoy watching rugby. Try to get down to uh, a few of the international games and uh, like to watch some uh, local rugby as well. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of what I enjoyed doing. Weekends seem to come and go quite quickly.
0: Oh, don't they ever?
1: So uh, you are limited to what you can, what you can squeeze into your diary. But uh, yeah, like to like to get out really and get away from uh, computers, talking on telephones, things that you do all day every day. It's nice to, to get away from uh, get away from it all occasionally and just uh, just enjoy uh, the wonderful countryside that uh, we live in up here. Do
0: you find it harder now that you're a company owner?
1: I do. I do find it harder being a company yeah. owner. Yes. I, I think it, I always felt that uh, I was very committed and I worked worked really hard and always was answering emails and things. But now it is 24 seven in the sense that uh, I can't, if I see an inquiry ping through on my, my phone, you can't just leave that inquiry. It's uh, you are on it all the time. And so many customers, you know, They've always had my private telephone number, but I don't know now. It just seems to be that more of them will phone you at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night or on a Saturday morning or on a Sunday afternoon. And I don't know that it's not really any different. I don't understand why it's different from 18 months, two years ago, where people had my mobile phone number. They didn't seem to, to call you. I think when they know that you are the person in charge and that you're not an employee, you're actually an owner, I think they feel that it's, it's more acceptable to phone you on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock to ask how they pack China into, uh, into a box. <laughs> so uh, Tell me you
0: don't seriously get that. <laughs>
1: Seriously, you get all sorts of things come up at all sorts of times. So uh, you know, you see when people phone you and uh, click through. You know, I think the latest call I had was from a lady at eleven o'clock at night.
0: Well, we are in a twenty four seven world now. We, man. we don't do nine to five. That's gone out the what, window why, years why ago. Why
1: do we want to sleep? But um, exactly, she uh, she doesn't wake up to lunchtime, so that's fine. So she can ring us at eleven o'clock at night. Unbelievable.
0: And finally, I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell?
1: Well, there, there, I think in this industry, there are always funny stories. Uh, some are better to be discussed, not uh, via podcasts, uh, I think is the... Don't worry, Paul.
0: This is only between you and I. It won't go oh, out. No, well, nobody okay. will listen. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs>
1: I, I suppose it takes... Go back to my early days and i i discussed you know my starting my career with pickfords as a as a trainee manager i was young i suppose i started in the industry i thought well you know it's uh, you know work hard and i went to um i was doing my operational training so i got put out on the vans and as i said you were treated you were a removal person you, you know you had little contact with the office apart from picking up your orders you were no different to anybody else out there doing the the job, and I went out on this particular this job with one of the older uh, school removal guys, and uh, the very nice customer came along and asked if uh, I fancied a, a cup of tea. Now I thought it was very polite of me to to say yes, a cup of tea would be lovely, and uh, she went away and uh, she she said, oh, "Would your colleague like a cup of tea?" I said, "I'm sure he'd love a cup of tea," and I knew because. I had to make him his tea in the morning because I was a a lowly porter. How, you know, had to make your driver a cup of tea in the morning. I knew how he liked it that morning. So I told her that he would have his cup of tea with four sugars. (laughs) It didn't make him any sweeter, but he always liked four sugars. And uh, she brought them out with a lovely plate of biscuits and put them on the back of the the van. And uh, the driver came down and said to me, what's this? And I thought he was joking. And I said, well, that's very, very kind of the lady's made us a, a cup of tea and she's brought some biscuits out. And he said, so you thought you're going to sit here, he said, and drink a cup of tea and eat biscuits. He said, how did she know that we drank tea? I said, well, she came and asked me, what, do you know, would you like a cup of tea? And I told her yours was tea, fairly strong, with four sugars. He said, just come here on the back of the van. He said, let me have a word with you a second. So I went up the ramp onto the back of the van, out of the sight of the house now, as he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, pushed me up against the rave and said, look here, let me explain something to you. I'm the driver, I'm in charge. You're the porter, you do as I tell you. So next time the customer asks if you want a cup of tea, you politely tell her to speak to me because I'm the driver. So I suggest you get yourself up to that top floor. And when you've brought 10 boxes down, I'll consider whether I'll let you drink your cold tea. And I'll consider if I'll let you have a biscuit. Get on with you. (laughs) And I suppose it was uh, the change of a a different world. But that was somebody that took great pride in in what they did. And, you know, he believed that he was the person in charge and that uh, there was a, a pecking order. And uh, I clearly didn't understand the pecking order. Certainly did afterwards. I certainly learned how to walk backwards for many days and weeks because never got to walk forwards. I think in my own spare time, I think I started walking backwards because that's what you always seem to do. And I suppose the other one was, uh, I suppose, a, a lesson in finding out detail. And it was quite an important lesson for me. And when I was uh, doing my sales training, I was doing sales. I got an opportunity to, to sell a very big property in the Y Valley, uh, a lovely house with lots of stonework in the garden that I organized for somebody, specially with a crane to come and move for this customer. Uh, and it was a big, big move. And we were doing it sort of November, December time. And the guys rung me up and said, we've got a problem with this job. And I said, oh, I can't understand why you'd have a problem. I planned this. I've had sleepless nights over planning this job just to make sure it's right. said, well, what's the problem? And they said, well, we can't deliver. So what do you mean you can't deliver? Well, we can't put this stuff in this house. I said, but it's a massive house. What, what do you mean? You're moving from a big house to a big house. And what the customer hadn't told me, and I didn't think about asking the question, is this big house didn't have any lights. All the oh. lighting in the house were lamps. So unless you had lamps plugged into each of the rooms, into the sockets, which you turn lamps on, they didn't have any central lights through the whole of this house. So when oh it got to three o'clock in the afternoon, the guys couldn't deliver anything into the house. So then they had to then spend the next day making sure that they found all the lamps that were obviously packed into numerous boxes so they could spread lamps around the house so they could actually see to, to carry out the deliveries. So uh, they, they had to scatter lamps everywhere. But it wasn't a question that I asked. And uh, obviously, it was something that uh, we come unstuck on. That Unbelievable. Lots, lots of vehicles full of furniture, but we couldn't actually see to, to deliver them.
0: But you wouldn't think of asking that. If someone was moving into a house, you would automatically presume <laughs> it's got lighting.
1: You Unbelievable. would. But uh, assumption, you know what they say about that, Colin?
0: Well, Paul. Thank you very much for giving up your time today. I truly appreciate you being a guest on Moving Matters. Well,
1: thank you very much, Colin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Cheers. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 32 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review, and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice, and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Paul Tracy of Squab Removals and Storage for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Paul. If you would like to know more about Squab Removals and Storage and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.